Come with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 20. And we'll read together verse 27. Then I will read Job 32, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 20, uh, verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Job 32 and 8 says, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. The men of old readily understood and accepted that there is a third dimension to every human being. We are not merely mind and body. Right at the very core of this most complex creature that God ever made is this thing called spirit. And this spirit is what separates us from all other life forms. It puts us in a class of our own. Now, our spirit is given several titles in Scripture, several names, most of which are synonymous. Uh, things like heart, or the candle of the Lord, or the lamp of the Lord, or the inner man, or the belly, the innermost being, Paul called that. And after you and I receive Christ, and after we're born again, reborn from above, then Paul calls that newborn spirit the new man. He also calls it the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new man as compared to the old man, which was our old sinful nature that has been reborn in newness of life. Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. And so your spirit, your innermost being, your heart, has got the capacity to know God to experience God, to love the Lord, to serve Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, to reflect Him. Therefore, you and I have got great responsibility to take good care. Let me just put this away a minute. For, to take good care of our innermost being, our spirit. And this is why the Scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The NIV puts it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The Living Bible puts it this way. Above all else, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. The Amplified Keep your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. 
Now, Jesus always was clashing with the scribes and the Pharisees, particularly over their man-made rules and regulations and traditions. One time they came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples not wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders when they eat? It wasn't that the disciples was unhygienic. Remember in those days, they mostly ate with their fingers. Of course, course they would wash their hands, but, but not according to the tradition of the elders. And that really, really annoyed them because they had all these rules and regulations and how you're to wash and regarding your pots and your pans and your kettles and everything else. And so Jesus pulled them up short on this. And in Mark 7, 15, he said, There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Then verse 21 and 22, he said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and an evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So in other words, Jesus was more concerned about the internal than the external. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religionists, was all external. Everything had to be done according to the dictates of the tradition of the elders and so forth. And so Jesus saw the hypocrisy. In fact, he called them hypocrites. And they said, you should be more concerned about the inner heart of man because that's really where all that wickedness and evilness comes out of because it's stored up in the heart. And so our heart, our inner man, is so, so important to keep it right. Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil things. So... The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And it always is. In Christianity, it's always heart issue. Now, in verse 34 of Matthew 12, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the admonition here then is our hearts, our spirit man, Our innermost being is to be guarded, it's to be kept, it's to be watched at all times with all diligence, with all vigilance, because it is the center of all of our affections and desires. It's the wellspring, it's the outflow, it's the overflow of our lives. And especially, most especially, now that it has been redeemed, now that it is a new man, now that it's been redeemed and sanctified, and has become the very habitation of God on earth. Because within us dwells the Holy Spirit of God. So we must guard our spirits against what? Well, first of all, against attacks from within. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, there's a little verse that simply says this. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. That's a very graphic way of saying that a little foolishness can ruin a good reputation. But the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon wrote this, 
And he gives the illustration of a perfumer. The old King James says an apothecary, apothecary, a pharmacist as we would say today. But in those days it was somebody who made perfume and ointments for the king. And whatever they'd make them, they would get their precious spices and beautiful citrus stuff and they would mix it all up and then they would make it into a paste and maybe add some liquid to it and let it set and make it into a beautiful aromatic ointment. And it seems to be that from time to time, maybe out of carelessness or got distracted, but the perfumer would leave one with the lid off instead of the lid on. And of course, if he left it with the lid off, with that beautiful smell and maybe those citrus aromas, it would attract all kinds of flies. And you know what flies are like to a honeypot. And they come and their feet get stuck in it. And eventually they die in it. And after a while, it gives us a foul odor. And so we need to be careful that the flies of whatever that would want to come into our lives and light and settle in our hearts, that they don't actually cause a stink in our lives. The Bible says that we are the aroma of Christ. That's the only aroma people want to smell around us. Not something that dishonors, not something that gives us a foul odor, not something that when you walk into a room, people just doesn't want to pee there. They want to walk out when you walk in. And there's all kinds of flies that would try to settle in our spirit if we're not careful. Anger or envy or jealousy or hatred or unforgiveness or grudge-bearing or criticism and a host of other flies that if we're not careful, if we don't keep the lid on, they get in there. Sometimes we're just careless about keeping the lid on our heart. Sometimes we get distracted and we forget that we've got to guard the heart. And before you know it, an unguarded moment, one of those flies gets in. You maybe don't notice it for a while, but after a while the thing dies there and it causes a stink. And before you know it, the anger spells out or the gossip comes or the grudge bearing or the unforgiveness or the hatred or whatever it may be. All of those attacks from within and we've got to guard against them. And every single one of us, including this preacher, and maybe especially this preacher, is susceptible to all of them. All of us are susceptible to these things. And so all of us has got to try to guard our hearts with all diligence. And nobody can guard it for you. It's your and my responsibility. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your mother, father. It's nobody. It's not the pastors. It's your responsibility to guard your heart. And nobody can guard it like you or only you. So we've got to guard our hearts against attacks from within. But then we've got to guard our hearts against attacks from without. In Ephesians chapter 6, you know it very well, but it's worth a reading again to remind ourselves about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you notice that our fight is not against flesh and blood? It's not against each other. But we don't get that, do we? Because we continually fight with one another, fall out with one another. And whenever we do that, the devil stands back and lets us at it. That gives him an easy ride. He doesn't have to do anything. We're doing his job for him. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. It may seem that way, but it's not. It's against spiritual forces. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so we have protection. There's not much we can do about tax from without other than defend ourselves. And go on the fences of against them when they come. And this is why God has given us spiritual armor to wear. So that when Satan, the father of lies, comes, then we have the girdle of truth to save us. Because the Bible says he was a liar from the beginning. And there's nobody will come quicker and more often to you and whisper in your ear all kinds of untruths and lies to muddle your thinking and to get you distracted and on the wrong track. And the only way you can overcome that is with the girdle of truth. When Satan comes as the accuser, the slander of the brethren, then we have the breastplate of righteousness. Because that's what he does. He's an accuser of the brethren. And he comes and he points his finger at us. And even, even if he's correct, even if he's right, even if we have done wrong and he comes accusing us, we still have the breastplate of righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we can go to the Lord and get his forgiveness. And we have that breastplate of righteousness that he cannot penetrate with those accusations because we're forgiven. But sometimes he comes and we haven't done anything and he comes accusing. And sometimes he comes through others Pointing the accusing finger. But you've got to realize that you've got the breastplate of righteousness. We have a right standing with God through Christ Jesus. And even though the devil would love to tear us down, and even though he would love to knock us out, <laughs> but we can stand with the breastplate of righteousness. Not in our own strength, not in our own merits, not in anything we have done, but everything Christ has done for us. So you've got to learn to stand in these things. When Satan comes with his fiery darts of fear and temptation and worry, or he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, we have got the shield of faith to be able to quench all those fiery darts of the wicked one. Now the shield to the Roman soldier was very vital. He absolutely had to have his shield. And it was very versatile. 
particularly when the arrows were flying. If they came straight at you, you could put it straight on. If they came over your head, you could put it up there. It was very versatile. And God has given us faith. And he's given us a shield of faith. So that when those fiery darts come at us, sometimes we can see them coming a mile away. And it's easy to get the shield up. But other times they're coming all kinds of ways and over our head. And we need to be very careful. And sometimes we have to put it up fairly quickly to defend ourselves. But thank God. We're not left defenseless. We've got a shield of faith. When Satan comes and bombards our minds with awful and terrible thoughts that want to discourage us or shame us or defeat us, then we've got the helmet of salvation. You know, there's a promise in the New Testament. Paul writes it. That Christ would guard our hearts under minds. And the word guard means a military term, but garrison would stand guard around your hearts and your mind. It's a helmet of salvation. Isn't the biggest battle you got your head more than your heart? Isn't that where the mind comes in? Isn't that where the devil tricks us all the time? Our heart may be good. Our heart may love God with, we may love him passionately. But it's those thoughts that bombard us day and daily that comes in. Have you ever found yourself thinking a thought and it shocked you? No, you're all holy this morning. Should have had communion after this service so you could all repent. And, and you, just for a moment, you, you think of something and it shocked you. Maybe it was pride or maybe it was prejudice. Maybe bigotry. Or maybe a lustful thought or an angry thought or something. And, and it just seemed, it shocked you. You think, boy, I didn't realize it. I could think like that. And you quickly realize how just fast that can just come into your mind and, and just into your thoughts. And the trouble is we've got to deal with it fairly quickly because if it takes root, then we're in trouble. And so we've got the helmet of salvation. I know the, it's an old cliche. Somebody says you can't stop the birds flying around your head, but you can stop them building a nest in your hair. And I know it's a cliche, but it's true, isn't it? There's maybe not much you can do about the thoughts coming against you, but when they come, that's when you can do something. The world that we live in today, uh, particularly through the media, through movies, through the printed page, through everything, we're constantly bombarded. And sometimes, I'm not talking about lustful, horrible demonic thoughts, sometimes just about this worldview that we live in. It's constantly bombarding us. And after a while, if you're not careful, you begin to think the way Sky thinks on TV, the way the newscaster thinks. You begin to think the way BBC thinks. You begin to think the way the politicians think, if you're not careful. But the way we should think is what the Word says. This is our view. And it's very contrary to this world, isn't it? You found that out, haven't you? As soon as you stick up for the Bible, you'll find you are in a minority. But this is our view, and this is what we've got to fill our mind with. So when that stuff comes, we can deflect it. When the counterfeit comes, we'll know instantly. You know, those that work on banks and they're handling notes all day long, they can just know by the feel of it. They don't even have to look at it. They just feel something's wrong with that note. 
and they can instantly just attack it because they're trained that way. When Satan comes to intimidate us with doubt and unbelief, then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I know that none of you ever had a doubt. None of you have ever experienced unbelief. But I have. And I suspect you have too. Because that's that old nature that will try to rise up. And the only way to overcome that is the sword of the Spirit. When that doubt wants to be in the ascendancy in your heart, when that unbelief just wants to overwhelm your thoughts, the only way to overcome it is the sword of the Spirit. You know, those Roman soldiers had that small sword. It was brilliant. I mean, it was the high-tack weapon of their day. This is why they were very successful as infantry soldiers more than any other nation because of the little sword that they had. It was good. It wasn't a great big, long, unwieldy, heavy brute of a thing that tired them out. It was small. It was two-edged. And it was brilliant for in-fighting, up-close fighting. And they were experts at it. And the Word of God, Paul likens onto that. Not wieldy and on heavy. You know, you just need one verse. That's just what you need. When that unbelief rises up, when that doubt comes in, sometimes just one verse, it just pops up out of your spirit if you've been feeding your spirit with it. And it can just counteract that. It's the sword. It's just quick and decisive and just gets in there and just cuts that thing off right at the start. When Satan comes to shake us and to buffet us and to bowl us over, then we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Amplified puts that verse this way, verse 15. And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability. I like that. To face the enemy with firm-footed stability. The promptness and readiness produced by the good news, the gospel of peace. See, another thing the Roman soldier had on his sandals, he had little pieces of metal inlaid. We call them sparbles or hobnail boots he used to get years ago. Little pieces of metal. And they had a lot of walking to do, a lot of marching to do, a lot of standing to do, a lot of fighting to do. And it made them sure-footed. It gave them a grip when they were fighting. They weren't slipping and sliding. They were able to stand. And Paul uses that illustration of our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we're firm-footed, that we stand. Having done all, what does it say? Stand. How? Stand therefore. He tells us how. And this is one of the things that we're able, when the dust settles, and the heat of the battle, when it's over and the dust settles, we're still standing. Sometimes, you know, you look back over your life and the, some of the stuff that you've come through. I can think of several people in here. Because you've been in here for years. And, and I've walked through those valleys with you. And you look back and you think, how in the world did I ever get through that? And when all the dust settled, you were still standing. You were still in your place. Because you had the armor of God and your feet was shod. 
you're able to get a grip. Kind of strange sentence, a feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Strange, isn't it, that peace is talked about here as well as war, isn't it? He's talking about warfare. He's talking about battle, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, high places, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, girl of truth, all helmet of salvation, all those things for war. And then he talks suddenly about peace, the gospel of peace. See, how are we going to ever win spiritual battles if we're not at peace? First of all, with ourselves. Got to be at peace with yourself. Colossians 3.15 talks about that. Being at peace with ourselves. Are you at peace with yourself? Or are you continually full of self-doubt and fear and worry and regret and all the rest of it? Hard to win anything when you feel that way, isn't it? And all of us has been there. We've always been times like that, and it's tough, isn't it? But it's hard to win the battle, isn't it? But when you're at peace with yourself, it doesn't mean you think you're perfect or you think you're just a bee's knee. But it means you're at peace with yourself. Now, the Bible says, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence towards God. If our heart condemns us not. If you can say, well, Lord... As best as I know, I'm doing what's right. As best as I know, I'm doing it the right way. As far as I can tell, unless you show me to the contrary, I'm walking the path. I'm on the straight and narrow. So you should have peace in your heart. Peace with yourself. How can we ever win spiritual battles if we not only have peace with ourselves, but if we don't have peace with one another? Let me just say this. If you don't have peace with yourself, for sure you're not going to have peace with those around you. But if you have peace with yourself first, it's much easier to deal with those around you. And life's complicated enough, isn't it? Without going out of your way to make enemies. Some people go out of their way to make enemies. <laughs> life's too short for that, isn't it? It really, really is. We're only here a short time. So we need to have peace with ourselves, but we need to have peace with each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace with yourselves, Paul admonishes. You know, Paul was the great apostolic minister. You know, Paul, his whole heart was for the church and the churches that he founded, that he visited, that he went around, that he encouraged, that he strengthened. And if you read through the, the church epistles, and there are several of them. If you read through that, sometimes they were a mess. Sometimes there was full-scale rows and battles and taking each other to court and getting drunk at communion. And all. You couldn't believe it. Read 1 Corinthians. You'll see it's written there. Arguing, fighting with each other. And Paul, as the apostolic minister, had to write to them and visit them and try to put them straight. And he says, be at peace with one another. How are you ever going to win spiritual battles if you're constantly locking horns with each other? Sometimes it just drives churches apart. Congregations just split and just kill each other. The Bible says, 
don't bite and devour one another, lest you be consumed one of another. The devil loves it to see us fighting each other. Not that we are right now, I thank God for that, but he loves it when he sees believers, particularly in churches, at each other's throats. Loves it. Because we're doing his work for him. And there's no peace. So we need peace with ourselves. We need peace with each other. A house divided itself cannot stand, Jesus said. But we also, Romans 5 and 1, we need peace with God, don't we? I mean, that's the ultimate, isn't it? We need peace with God. But you know, if we're not at peace with ourselves, and we're not at peace with one another, there's not going to be much peace with God because He wants us to be at peace with ourselves and peace with one another. But to be at peace with God, to be able to look up and say, Father, I feel your peace in my heart. I don't feel that there's a great gulf between us. I don't feel that our sin is separating you from you anymore because Christ has come to be the propitiation for my sins. And I feel I'm at peace with God. What a joy. What a, what a pleasure. You can put your head in your pillow at night knowing you have peace with God through Christ. It's wonderful. There's a world out there needs peace with God and they haven't got it. And we're supposed to show them how to get it. Have we got it ourselves? Are we at peace with God? I'm going to close in a moment. Guarding our spirit. Let me just add this to what I've said. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says this. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. The living puts it this way. A man without self-control is as defenseless as a city who has broken down walls. The New American Standard puts it this way. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. The man or woman who has no control over their spirit is utterly defenseless against the evil one. You're like a city without walls. He can just walk straight in. We need to have the control over our spirit. And if the enemy says you have no control over your spirit, let me tell you, he'll ring your bell, he'll push your button every single time, at every opportunity. He knows what works. He knows our weak areas. He knows the gaps in the wall. He knows how to get in there, and he'll do it every time. And we're defenseless. But you and I have a choice. We're not at the mercy of our circumstances. We can choose to love or to hate. We can choose to forgive or to bear grudge. We can choose to harbor resentment or to show grace. Peter was a man who had to learn to rule his own spirit. He really was. You know, one day he was a spokesman for God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you've just spoken the heart of the Father. You've been a spokesman for the Father right there. And then a little bit later on, Jesus had to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things that be a God, but the things that be a man. You've been a spokesman for the devil. It depends what comes out of our mouth. Sometimes we're a spokesperson for God, sometimes a spokesperson for the devil. And we've got a choice. We have to learn to rule over our own spirit. One day he promised undying loyalty to Christ. If all these forsake you. That was a big bold statement, wasn't it? Very arrogant, wasn't it? I mean, they were all standing there. You can imagine him just sweeping his hand. If all these forsake you, yet I'll never forsake you. <laughs> really? Really? Jesus said, before the morning, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And he still didn't get it. He was so arrogant, wasn't he? Hadn't dealt with his spirit, you see. Full of faith. One day, full of fear the next day. Now, he was a good man. He was a big-hearted man. He was a zealous man. He loved God, and he loved Christ. But he hadn't yet learned to rule his own spirit. And boy, it got him into a whole lot of trouble, didn't it? Always. But he submitted himself unto the grace of God. Eventually, at the end, in the long run, God finally, finally got a hold of him. And he finally, finally got a grip of his own spirit by the grace of God. And he submitted himself to the grace of God. You know, when you read his epistles, he talks about the grace of God. Nobody enjoyed it more. Nobody experienced it more. Nobody needed it more, dare we say. First Peter 5 and 10, he talks about the great God of all grace. 2 Peter 3 and 18, he says, grow in grace. First Peter 5 and 12, he says, stand in grace. First Peter chapter, first Peter 1 and 10 talks about the manifold grace of God, the many-sided grace of God. Remember in the day of Pentecost? Remember how he stood up and preached that fantastic, glorious, anointed, powerful sermon? What a wonderful change came into his life. 1 Peter 1 and 5, he says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. He submitted himself to the grace of God, to the power of God. He submitted himself to the word of God. Do you know that in the day of Pentecost, when he preached that sermon, do you know that more than half of it was scripture? So many sermons today, there's hardly a scripture ever mentioned. Hardly. You could sit through the whole thing without opening your Bible. Hardly mentioned. And Peter got up to preach half of his sermon was scriptures. And he took them out of the Old Testament and he made them alive. And those whom he was preaching to, it touched their hearts. Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Something happened. Something was ignited in their hearts because of the word of God. 
And Peter has submitted himself to the word of God. He submitted himself to the love of God. Experienced that wonderful forgiveness. We'll have time to go into all of that. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issues of life. Before this day is through, and I'm including me in this, before this day is through, all of us will have the opportunity to guard our hearts. I guarantee that. Some of you, it may be before you leave this building. I remember one guy one time, I preached a message. Not that I preached it to him and for him, but as I was preaching, I realized it was for him. <laughs> it might have been for everybody else, but it was for him. If ever he needed to hear it, it was that day. But do you know what? Before he left this building, he had a full-scale row with somebody, and he stormed down those stairs, slamming the door on the way out. <laughs> no control over his spirit. Like a city without walls. And the enemy just moved right in. Even after he sat for that three quarters of an hour listening. Or was he listening? I don't know. Devil just got right in there. And so before this day is out, all of us, including me, maybe especially me, will have opportunity to guard our spirits with all diligence. Why? Because that's where our factions, that's where our desires flow from. So we've got to guard it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.